We're going to get started. I have a feeling some people are looking for parking out there. It's a busy night here at the uh, Federation campus. I'm not so sorry. The Samuel E. Jewish campus. <laughs> Be very careful how you correctly call this place. Um, you're in the right room if you're looking for Beverly Jacobs because she's right there. Jake is here as well. Thank you again for hosting our speaker for a few nights. And again, um, we have Andy Arnovitz with us. I will introduce her formally in a few minutes, but she's here because Beverly and Rochelle insisted. Anybody else? No. Beverly and Rochelle went to Andy's house during our 2017 trip to Israel. That was one option, to hang out with an artist. And they came back raving and said it was the best part of the whole trip. I said, what about all the other things? They were okay, but that was the best part, so we have to bring you to Orange County. This is our 18th year of programs. I'm not going to bore you because all of you know CSP. I know all of you, right? Anybody here I don't know? No? I know you all. So CSP, 18 years, going into 19, support us. Thank you. Thank you, Federation. Thank you, Foundation, for supporting us. Um, programs coming up. You'll be getting a constant contact invitation to Storytelling in the Bible, How and Why, Zioni Zevet, April 7th at about 3 p.m., and then um, we have quite a few programs coming up in May and June, and then a trip to Lithuania and Poland. Uh, we are going to start something called, I don't know what to call it, the CSP, I don't like armchair travel, virtual travel, because there's some of you, either you can't come or because you, you're not available or it's, it's just not possible, but you can't come with us, but you can enjoy traveling with us from Orange County. So I'll be sharing um, all of my handouts that everyone gets to get every day or two, stories to read, books to read, movies to watch, pictures from the trip. If you would like to do that, you can opt in. I will not send you anything unless you are interested. But I do have a lot of stuff I've been sending to Lithuania and Poland, including the origin of Chelm and the Chelm story, since we'll be driving right by Chelm, things like that. So you'll be getting an email if you are interested in that. I did mention that uh, we are looking at, uh, well, Israel is 2020. And then 2021 in December, going to Italy with Mark Michael Epstein, assuming he's not arrested on any of his trips to Venice, <laughs> and he's still compass mentis. We will take Mark will take us to Italy, uh, Venice, Padua, Florence, and Rome. He said if we want to meet the Pope, he can't guarantee it, but you never know. I guess Mark did meet book. the Pope. Mark will have a new book to present to the Pope during our visit. That's the hope. So that will be, uh, I'll send an email if you want to be on that list. I sent an email about our Israel trip 2020. We have 100 people that say they want to be on the interest list. So right now, just of my small email about Italy to our group who went with Mark to the Getty, we have about uh, 22 people who are on that list. Doesn't mean you're going to register or get to go, but it means that anybody on the list will get invited to register first, and we can only take 30 to, um, to Rome because Mark wants to stay in in specific palazzos that have very limited rooms. So that's what will happen. Okay, please take a moment, turn off your cell phones. We are recording tonight. Our topic, this is a three-part mini-series um, with our guest speaker. Tonight's topic is people of the book, artist books, and you'll find out more what that means in a moment. We're very happy to have Andy Arnovitz with us. Andy is a Native American. She was born in, born in Kansas City, Missouri, but she has no accent. No accent. You get rid of your accent? No? Never had one? Okay. Well, it's Missouri. I don't know. Uh, it, uh, she's a multidisciplinary artist, as we learned and saw with our own eyes um, just a few hours ago, working with prints, porcelain, textiles, and paper. Your favorite is what? You said your favorite Prince. medium is prints. Uh, much of her work deals with the flashpoint where religion, gender, and politics meet. I was a hard, it was hard for me to go eat my lunch after the program today because <laughs> it was so fraught with, um, 
tense. I was very tense after the presentation, very educational. Um, she has had solo shows at Univer Yeshiva University Museum, the LA Mayor Museum of Islamic Art, the Jerusalem Artist House, and has participated in group shows all over the world. Her work is in the collections of the US Library of Congress, the Museum of Art Ein Harod, Stanford and Yale University and other major institutions and is in many private collections. Any collections here in Orange County yet? Here. No, not yet. Please raise your hand if you'd like to purchase a private. Someone here. We'll talk about that. You get a discount, a CSP discount. Uh, Andy is part of the Brooklyn Museum's feminist art base. is on the board of governors of Bezalel Academy and Jerusalem's Season of Culture. She's the recipient of the Anolik Foundation Artist Book Award and, and was one of the artists in residence for the new Venice Haggadah project, which we may learn about tomorrow. If you join us, please join me in welcoming back Andy Arnovitz from Jerusalem. and thanks everybody, especially those of you that have turned around and come back tonight. I really appreciate it. So most people don't know what an artist book is. So I'm going to read you what Google says an artist book is. An artist book is a medium of artistic expression that uses the form or function of book as inspiration. It's the artistic initiative seen in the illustration choice of materials, creation process, layout and design that makes it an art object. So I think that's really important to know because if you think you're going to see a bunch of books, you're not going to see a bunch of books. You're going to see a bunch of artist books and they take all different kinds of forms. But I think it's important and like obviously as a Jewish artist, we're known as the people of the book. Um, Am HaSefer. And it's come to like people of the book has come to refer to just the Jewish people in general and also the Torah. So I'd like to start, um, and maybe we can turn the lights down. I think it would be better. I'm going to picture first while the lights are up. So okay. Quick, quick. I'm, I'm hmm? One, two, three, smile. I just want you to know it's like 4 o'clock in the morning in Jerusalem. Right, right. So <laughs> I don't look so good, and I, I'm slowing down a little bit. Um, so this is, this is already, this is like a collage, just to sort of get your heads around the idea that an artist book can be all different kinds of things. Now we're gonna, we're gonna get to this book in a minute. So this is one of, um, this is a book I did about four years ago. And for those of you that were here this morning, the very end of my lecture, I talked about all these pieces I did um, about a nuclear Iran. So the very first, the beginning of that project was this artist's book that's um, Tales of a Nuclear Tehran. And the, the prints all came in this book. And, and in an artist's book, every single element in the book becomes important. In other words, it was important that I lined the box with the Persian carpet. And it was important that, and usually there's a colophon, there's usually a title page, and there's some kind of colophon that tells you how many books are in the edition, how it was printed, where it was printed, how it was made. So all those pieces are in this book. But um, in this book, a lot of the prints that you saw this morning come in the book. Okay, so all these prints are there, and then there's an artist statement in which I talk about the artistic legacy of Persia and how I've deconstructed it to tell a story of, of what's happening politically with Iran and their, their desire to annihilate Israel. This is another artist book that I did. And um, 
This morning I talked about a, a box of belt buckles that somebody gave me that sat in my studio when we were talking about the domestic violence in the belts. So this is another story. I don't know how I become this recipient of things that nobody else wants. But um, a friend of mine said, look, I have this box of business cards that I decided never to use. And so they were business card size, size pieces of wood veneer. It was, they, they were wood. They were thin, thin shavings of wood. And he said, you may do something with them. I'm never going to use them. So they sat in the studio, and they sat in the studio. And one day I thought, you know, I wonder if I can put an etching on the wood. And so I did a little experiment, and it actually worked. And it looked pretty cool. I have no idea what possessed me to think of that, but I did. And then I started to think about how the paper that I put my prints on comes from trees, and how this was wood. So I did a whole series of the trees of Jerusalem. And for those of you that have been to Jerusalem, you know that we have pomegranate trees and lemon trees and pine trees and palm trees and fig trees and uh, carob trees. So I did a, a very sweet series, and all of the trees are printed on wood. Um, and just as a technical technical aside, there were some complications with this because normally you wet the paper when you pull a print and you lay that on the plate. But when you wet the paper and then you put these layers of wood on it, the wood, because it's organic, it went wild. It buckled and it curled and it completely misbehaved. So I had to print these dry. This is, um, this isn't, I know it doesn't look like a book. Um, but this is a wonderful book, and this happened because someone gave me this gorgeous poem that um, an Israeli poet, she actually lives in Jerusalem, her name is Dalia Kever, wrote. Like a Russian babushka, a doll within a doll, enfolded within me, my mother and my grandmother, and her mother's mother, and her grandmother, all the generations, a quiet row of women, like a column of strength. So I loved that poem. And I thought, you know what, I want to do an artist book with this. So in the days of the internet, I thought, OK, where can I get babushka dolls, like raw babushka dolls? So I found some guy in Ukraine. You had to buy 18 sets. So there was my addition. Um, they came really crummy and had to be completely sanded and cleaned on the inside. Um, and then we did a whole Photoshop, Photoshop session. So that's actually my great-great-grandmother. And on the far right, my great-grandmother. And in front of my great-great-grandmother, my other great-grandmother. And then my grandmother and my mom. Um, but my great-great-grandmother, the great big one, that's, she was actually in the middle of a huge Polish family portrait with her arms around um, her nephew. So we had to give her an extra arm and get rid of everybody and stretch the backgrounds. And then we printed this on really fine Japanese paper so that I could decoupage these and there wasn't any bulk. Um, and then the poem appears in English and in Hebrew. It's a stab binding and the whole thing goes in that, in that box. This is the first edition that I've ever completely sold out of. There were 18 of them. They've all been purchased. And in the beginning, I couldn't understand why because they're my grandmothers, like they're not anybody else's. But I think there's something universal about the images that spoke to everybody. So I hate to get political, but I'm going to. 
Um, this is actually in, an, in a lovely artist book show right now in Haifa at the Hermann Struck Museum. So the outside of the box in Hebrew, English, and Arabic says the only thing left to do with the Oslo Accords. And I printed the Oslo Accords on toilet paper. Um, and if I offend anybody, I'm really sorry. But um, they're not really good for much anymore. Um, and again, there's, there's fun and interesting technical aspects to these artist books. So in my naivety, I thought that you could just print on a roll of toilet paper and that somebody would just keep printing. And it turns out that that's completely impossible. Um, and that you can never actually re-roll a roll of toilet paper. It just doesn't work. So it turns out that the, there's a bunch of companies, especially in New Jersey, that you can send them anything, like your boss's picture. You know, that's what they have on their website. And they'll print it on toilet paper. But the plate is 16 inches. So I couldn't print the entire Oslo Accords. So what I did is I cut them in half. And so halfway through these rolls of toilet paper, it says blah, blah, blah. And then it goes to the other half. So um, yeah, the, the Oslo Accords, they're, they're not really good for much anymore. OK, this is a book that I started when my oldest son went into the army. Um, and this is really, I mean, this is really a nervous Jewish mother piece. So I decided that for every single day that I had a son in combat, that I would sew a page in this prayer book. So this is the Mishabeirach for Tzahal, for the Israeli army that gets said in shul every Shabbat. And um, so for every single day that I have a son in the army, I sew a page in this prayer book. Um, and the cover, this comes from a regular old army uniform that I bound the cover and I have, you know, when I finally finish this, it'll go with the other end. Um, it's a Coptic binding stitch. It's an Egyptian binding stitch, a really old one. Um, and it's very meditative when I just sit there. I do not sew a page each day. I generally wait until the end of the month and sit there and sew 30 at a time. This next one is... Uh, it's a facsimile of my journals, and I actually brought the journal that I'm working on with me here tonight. So I guess about 12 years ago, I made a trip to India, and I brought my little box of art supplies. And um, yeah, I was just so overwhelmed as an artist by the country and the colors and all the things I was experiencing. So I kept all these journal pages. And when I came back, a few people said, wow, it would be nice if that was an artist book. And so it took me a while. Is this in focus? Yeah? Um, I had to wait about four years for the technology to improve because I wanted it to look exactly like my journal. And I work with an amazing fine art printer in Jerusalem. And he said to me, look, I can't do it yet. He said, I know the technology is coming, and I know the papers are coming, but I don't have it yet. And about three or four years later, he called me, and he said, Andy, I'm ready to do your journal. I've got the technology. So um, it looks exactly like my art journal. And you can hold each page next to the original, and the colors are identical. And um, we got kind of clever, and we actually printed elements that were on the pages on another paper, cut them out, and glued them on top of the printed pages so it felt like it was handmade. This is, um, this is the cheapest artist book that I've ever done. This is, this is a series of postcards called Paradigm Shifts of the 21st Century. And it's pretty much my midlife crisis. Um, 
These are all the things that have changed for me in the last 20 years. Like these are all paradigm shifts and I'll just read you. They're just postcards. Um, morality is subjective. Diversity means we're all the same. Evil is misunderstood. Old people are annoying. 32 ounces is a single serving. The murderer is also a victim. I love that one. Okay, due diligence takes too long. Botox is the fountain of youth. Everyone is addicted to something. Social media is the most powerful weapon. Some boys marry boys. The truth takes too long to explain. What's your carbon footprint? I didn't know what that was. There are no terrorists, just freedom fighters. Life is long. Google it. Lying is not the worst thing you could do. I don't know, when I was growing up, that was one of the worst things you could do. It's all because of global warming. Gluten-free baked goods are available. I'm sorry, 20 years ago, I had no idea what that was. It's your parents' fault. $1,200 is what fabulous shoes cost. Nothing is good for you. Cheating is not so bad. Virginity is quaint. Quality sperm donors are available. There's no such thing as a nuclear family. Rich people should be ashamed of themselves. Like me on Facebook. Children should not be read fairy tales that creates false expectations. <laughs> Food is art. The LGBT community, and the, this is already dated because I think there's two more letters. The LGBT community welcomes you and it's all about your narrative. That car will make her love you. Two mommies are better than one. So those are all the things that have shifted um, for me in the last 20 years that are completely different reality. So that's also an artist book. So this is a very fun story. There is a guy in North Carolina named Clark Whittington who for his senior art project took a vending machine, painted it, souped it up, and dispensed art. Okay, so that you'd pull the thing, you'd put in a token, you'd pull the thing and you got art. And it was such, and his concept was that art should be available to everybody. You shouldn't have to be a millionaire to buy art, original art. So it's called the Artemat Project. It's now all over the United States and in Europe. And he's taken and bought up fabulous old vending machines and made them artsy. And then he has a call for entries. And you submit as an artist something that's basically the size of a pack of cigarettes. You either can wrap a print or a painting around a block of wood, or you can buy his cardboard boxes and put stuff inside. And if he likes it and you're willing to make 50 of them, then he'll buy it and he'll install them in Artemat machines. So you go to the gift shop of the museum or wherever you are, you pay, I think, $7, you get a token, you put it in the machine and you get to pick what art you get. Um, and they're, they're pretty incredible. I mean, you can get everything from a piece of jewelry to a small photocopied artist book to an etching. And this was a digitally printed little book that I did about me and a Palestinian man in the old city that I used to buy ethnic jewelry from, me and Badawi. And it was really a story of a friendship between a Jewish-Israeli woman and a Palestinian man. And it talks about how he taught me Arabic and told me stories about where things came from. So sometimes I would get emails from people that had bought this. Okay, They would buy it somewhere where they were visiting, and they would Google me, and they would find me. So one day I get this email, um, and this woman says, 
I bought your Me and Badawi book. I love it. Um, and I'm inviting, if you're ever in New York City, my husband has a little grocery store and uh, we live on the Upper West Side and I would be happy to entertain you in my home. Signed, Judy Zabar. <laughs> so I'm like, a little grocery store. Okay, right. So, um, so I wrote her back and I said, wow, that is really nice of you. And it turned out that a few months later I was going to New York and I said, I would love to meet you, Judy. And so Judy Zabar had me and my mom and my sister for brunch without ever meeting us. And then I think her, their two bro there's three brothers. Eli like split off and did his own thing. And then there's Stanley and I can't remember the other brother. But Stanley was the husband of Judy, I think. He gave us a completely behind the scenes tour of Zabar's, which was mind boggling. Um, but that just shows you how crazy art can be and the connections that can be made. So those of you that were here this morning saw the Vesta Prayers. So in making that Vesta Prayers, I had lots and lots of little bitty pieces of prayer book scrolls left. And I also had all the covers of these prayer books, these beautiful covers that were falling apart. And because I'm a hoarder, I had a really hard time throwing them away. And then I decided that I was going to make a different kind of artist book out of those little scraps. So this is called All That's Left. And this series is really about all that's left of these communities because many of these books came from Poland, came from Vienna, came from Hungary, and you can see where they're printed, you know, on the, on the inside page. Um, and there's nothing left of these communities anymore. Somehow these prayer books made their way to Israel and then they were being thrown away. So um, there, for me, there's something very haunting about the way these feel. Um, they do feel lost, and they do feel like the end of something. So this is a, an artist's book that's based on a beautiful poem, which I think I brought. Um, and this is what happens to me. I hear a poem, I come across a poem, and I think I have to do something with this poem. This is a little bit longer, so hang in there with me. So Hava Pinchas Cohen is a, is a poet in Jerusalem. And I don't, there's a wonderful book that Elisa Levy published called A Woman's Prayer Book, a Contemporary Prayer Book, that's full of all kinds of prayers from Gluckle of Hamlin to contemporary prayers written today, like this one, for all different sorts of life cycle events for women. So the poem goes like this. As I stand ready to prepare porridge, remove all other thoughts from my mind, and when I touch the baby's back to check for fever, let all my worries leave me, lest they confuse my thinking. And grant me the courage to soften my expression so that each of my children may see his face within my face as in a mirror polished for a holiday, and the darkness that is ingrained within my face cover it with light that my patience not run out, nor my throat go, grow hoarse from shouting despite myself that thickens that I not become helpless in the face of the unknown, and that there be no break, even for a moment, in the closeness of flesh to flesh between my children and me. Imbue me with your love, that I might have enough to stand at the front door and to share it out with the simplicity of slicing bread and spreading butter every morning. Anew the aroma of milk broiling and overflowing 
and the fragrance of the coffee in lieu of the thanksgiving sacrifice and the daily sacrifice that I know not how to offer. So I thought that was beautiful. So this is a Victorian carousel book. This is a, a really old book format, and most of them were um, the story of Jesus or Christmas. Um, what you do with these is you, let's go back. You take both ends, and you tie them together, and they become a circular carousel. So we did a couple of cool things, the book, make, the book binder and I. We hid magnets, tiny magnets, in the front and back cover so that when you do this, it snaps together and stays there. And um, we also added one more panel so that from above, when you look down on it, it becomes a Jewish star. So there's actually three pages in, in each one of those panels. Um, and because, even though these started out as etchings, because the length of the book was so long, I, there was no press big enough, long enough for me to print it, so we did it digitally. And then once I was doing it digitally, I could laser cut it, so I didn't have to hand cut all 25 of these books, um, which is what we did. Uh, this book is in the Library of Congress, and I think Stanford has it, and Yale has it. And um, the other nice thing about this book is that I could print the Hebrew and English in both directions. Sometimes it's a real problem when you want to do an edition and you want to print the Hebrew and the English version. It doesn't necessarily map out correctly. In this book, it did. It was, it was, it was uh, very successful. I only have the Hebrew, um, a few of the Hebrew ones left. So this next book, uh, The Laryngitis of Jewish Women, also was a poem that I came across that blew me away. Um, and it's a little bit long, so I'm not going to read the whole poem. I'm just going to read the beginning of the poem to give you an idea. It was the bris which broke the camel's back. I was another skirt at the outskirts of another ritual act, standing in point, straining my ears while some distant ceremony was unfolding, something holy left me running for refreshments while the women sat and chatted and I hated their lack of focus like a plague on our purses left us voiceless in the chorus, disinvited to the very recital we were best equipped to lead. So it's a seriously feminist poem. Um, but I loved it. And so I took the poem, and what I did is I made a mechitza, which is what she's talking about. So what's important in the mechitza is the poem on our side, and then the other side is printed like lace, like a real mechitza. So this next book has also kind of an interesting story. So I was invited to do this very thing at Limud in London, which was quite a bizarre experience because I think the British don't know what to do with somebody like me. Um, I had a lot of very bizarre encounters. Um, I did some journaling workshops. I had a lot of 50-year-old men and their mothers ask me if they were allowed to use blue pens in their journals. It was, it was just, it was a trip. But I met this amazing poet and filmmaker there named Leah Thorne, who had just done a, a short film and written a series of poetry about her late father and his Alzheimer's. And these blew me away. They were so beautiful and so touching. And her father was a tailor. So I decided that everything would be stitching. And what I did here is that it's, the pages are actually backwards. In other words, I did the etchings, and then the outside, like the fold, 
is actually folded under, so you can never really accent, access the full image. And then I sewed silk on top of them. So everything is a little bit blurry and a little bit not accessible, like Alzheimer's. And I left all the threads hanging because his thoughts were hanging. So the poems that she wrote are, are very, very beautiful and very touching about trying to honor this, this father who can't remember really her name or where he left his watch. Um, this next book, I made one because it turned out that one was so expensive to make that I would never sell any of them. Um, and also, it's, it's a pretty heavy, heavy artist book. So you saw this morning, those of you that were here, the mothers and sons etchings that I did. And there was one etching in which I showed the tunnels from Operation Protective Edge, the last Gaza war. So I was so haunted by those tunnels and so sickened about the idea. I mean. Those of us that lived in Israel, I can remember interviews of people that lived on the Gaza border and the kibbutzim there saying things like, well, my kids said that they heard noises under their bed at night, and we didn't believe them. And the idea that you could be making dinner while somebody was underneath your house, burrowing away, wanting to inflict harm on you, your children, your community, freaked me out. It still freaks me out. Um, it's, it's a very scary thing. And so... And also, the, the whole idea of combat with tunnels is old. I mean, the Viet, those of you that are familiar with the Vietnam War, it was a huge part of the Vietnamese warfare to use those tunnels. So what I did is I, this is a tunnel book, and when I printed the backs of my etching plates that were all dirty and messy from the acid eating them, they looked like cement, which of course is what those tunnels are made from. And the idea was that you'd hold this thing up and you just saw real life happening on the other end, which is pretty much what was happening underneath those tunnels. Okay, I'm 100% sure that I'm going to annoy some people in this room with the next book. Um, this is Obama's Bon Bon Mos. And I'm not saying that I'm anti-Obama, um, or even really anti-Trump. I'm not pro-Trump, but I don't, I don't think I loathe him to the degree that some, some Americans do. But I found some of the things that Obama said to be really funny. Um, and so this is the one of the, next to Paradigm Shifts, this is one of the cheapest books I've ever made. Because I bought ready-made candy boxes at a paper store in uh, uh, Rishon Litzion. And what I did is I watercolored little chocolates. And then I took things that he'd said that um, I, I just thought were funny, you know, and sometimes not true, you know, I promised I'd end the war in Iraq, and I did, and um, you should want your wife to get paid good, and things like that. So this, this little artist book is called Obama's Bon Bon Mo's. Um, this is Natural Mutations. This is a little bitty book that fits in the palm of my hand, um, and it's based on a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson that really moved me, in which he talks about how in nature everything is related. Um, and I have some sort of assemblages in my studio. It sounds pretty gross, but I saved all of my kids' baby teeth. So I have a jar of baby teeth, but those baby teeth look exactly like little bitty seashells, which look exactly like a certain kind of a pine cone seed. And I have all three bottles right next to each other. And for me, this is exactly what Ralph Waldo Emerson was talking about, that in nature, everything is related. 
So in this little book, there are these semi-erotic etchings that I printed on a really beautiful Japanese paper and glassine, like what you would, you know, what stamp collectors use. I'm always trying to print on ridiculous, crazy things. So this is a, a very delicate book with these tiny etchings in it. This is another book. This is what you think of when you think of artist books. This is my friend Jane Medved, who um, is an amazing poet and has written some very moving poetry that I loved. So I took six of her poems and I did etchings to go with them. Um, that's just an idea. That's a very Kansas image. I, I, I think I'm pretty good at drawing tornadoes. Um, <laughs> this next book is a book I did with Yehuda Miklaf. Yehuda's almost 80. Um, he's a master bookbinder in Jerusalem. I mean, to me, he's one of those treasures. When the Pope came to Israel, the state of Israel gave the Pope a little bitty leather-tooled uh, volume with gold leaf, and in it was a microchip with the entire Bible. But that leather-tooled volume was made by Yehuda. And we're buddies. He's also, like, completely loony. And he came back one summer and he said, Andy, I have to show you this incredible book binding that I learned when I was in Rome. And he showed it to me and I said, Yehuda, I have a book that we have to do together because I had this other idea. So this book is called The History of Sound. And there's no words in the book. It's just images. And you can see a picture of the binding. So that each one of these pages, there's a thin steel rod and two pages wrap around it, which allowed us to embed in each page a very fine tissue-thin watercolor that I did. So the idea of this is that if you could see a sound coming towards you, what that would look like, building. So you literally can see this. If you shine a light through the book, you can see all the way through it. Um, so this, was, this is also an artist's book. And we actually, the cover and the back cover are, are Lucite that we silk screened on. And there's an edition of 12. And we've never sold one of these. <laughs> Um, those of you that remember this morning my whole Chicken Little thing, so this is a, a Chicken Little artist book, a little bitty one. Um, it's a book of worries. Um, and I'm a hoarder, so one of the things a printmaker has is a whole bunch of proofs from their printing because you have to keep working on the plate and printing proofs. So uh, this was a way of using up those proofs. This is another artist book called Kidnapped. Now, I know all of you remember when those 276 Nigerian schoolgirls were kidnapped by the Boko Haram, and nobody did anything. I mean, really, literally, nobody did. Everybody voiced outrage. Michelle Obama sent out a Twitter, this is a horrible thing, and nobody did anything. And those girls just disappeared, and I think some of them have come back. Most of them are pregnant. Most of them were converted to Islam under duress. Um, and for sure, we all know that if those had been 276 American schoolgirls or European schoolgirls, they would have come home a day later. Like they would have sent in, you know, I don't know, a SWAT team. So I decided that I would do an artist book about this. So it says kidnapped in English on one side of the burlap bag and kidnapped in Hebrew on the other side. There's a, literally a cage with a lucite door that unlocks, and inside are 276 paper dolls, but they're not sweet paper dolls. So that's the exact uniform that these uh, schoolgirls wore. And inside the box, there comes this little brochure. 
And it's the artist statement. It says, since 2009, Boko Haram terrorists have killed more than 10,000 people in Nigeria, Africa. Boko Haram means Western education is forbidden. In April of 2014, Boko Haram terrorists kidnapped 276 schoolgirls from a secondary school in Chibok. These girls were dedicated in furthering their educations and returning to school in a dangerous area in order to take their final exams. Following the mass abduction, Boko Haram threatened to sell the girls into sex slavery and as child brides. The girls were also forced to convert from Christianity to Islam. Many months later, 60 girls have escaped and the rest are still missing. I've created these paper dolls as a reminder of these missing girls and as a metaphor for their lost childhoods and as a protest of all acts of terror and exploitation that are continually committed all over the world in the name of religion. It's inexcusable that in a world of satellite imagery and jet planes, we could not rescue these children. It's even sadder that in a world of the internet, we've forgotten them. Half of the proceeds of these artist books will be donated to Girl Rising, an organization that is devoted to advancing girls' education in India, Nigeria, and the Congo. So, I haven't sold one of these. And I wrote Girl Rising, and I told them, look, I did this artist book, and I'm gonna give the you know, half of the proceeds to you guys, and they never answered. Now, I, I actually think it's because there was probably some girl you know, working the computer. You know, it didn't get to the right person. But just so you know, like not everything an artist does, you know, works. This is another artist book I did, and this is kind of a cool story. So somebody that knew me in Kansas City wrote me and said, listen, I've got this little bitty group in my shoal of 15 people that have been laning the Parsha every day for the last 15 years. Two of these guys are going to have finished completing the entire cycle of laning the Torah. I want to honor them. I want to have a piece of art that I can give each one of these members as they finish. Maybe you can do a painting and we can put it in a frame with a plaque. And I said, ugh. <laughs> like this amazing cyclical gift that these people have that they're going to reuse and use the rest of their life and we're going to give them a picture that goes on the wall that they're going to forget. So I said, I don't want to do that. I want, I want a piece of art that does what they do. So I decided to make a visual Torah. Now, I also have to say that I, I raised my kids with the little Midrash says. Does anybody remember what that looks like? It's like an art school book. It has the worst illustrations, the most horrible, dated, tired illustrations you've ever seen. And so I thought, you know what? I want to do a really hip, cool Torah visually. So again, we use magnets, and the idea is that each week you take out next week's Parsha and you put it in the cover. And so you keep recycling them, okay? And I wanted them to be very graphically powerful, but I also wanted, look, I'm no yeshiva scholar, so I was reading the Parshiot with an, idea, with an eye for the purely visual. So every time I saw something in the Parsha that was visual, I made a note of it, so the idea is that you'll look at these, and, for, and even for a Bible scholar, they might look at it and go, why is that in there? And it will force them back to the text to try to discover why that image is in that Parsha. So this is another artist book. This is um, another artist book that I did. So there is a, a book in Judaism called Misilat Yesharim, which is supposed to be this book of character refinement. It is very hard to get your head around. It's 
difficult language, um, and it's not easily accessible in the 21st century in the language that we understand. So I decided that I would do a contemporary version of this um, and something that was interactive. So it's called Yetzer Hara, Yetzer Hatov, Good Inclination, Evil Inclination. And I took 12 neutral midot, like thinking and sexuality and ambition, uh, I'm trying to think of all of them. I don't have it in front of me right now, but each one. And so the, the white side is the most positive extreme of that attribute. And the black side is the most negative because that's really what being a human being is. It's about balance. It's about you know being ambitious, but not a megalomaniac and doing good with that ambition. It's about you know having sexuality, but not you know to the point of sickness. Or um, like on the one hand, you have procreation. On the other hand, you have real sexual illness. It's that kind of thing. So it's a very personal, introspective way of looking at all these human attributes and, and thinking to ourselves what we, can, what we have the power over. So this next book is called Living Borders. So um, I was looking through, a, uh, there was a beautiful exhibition at the Israel Museum about 12 years ago of an illustrator named Haruvi that illustrated the flora and fauna of Israel. And in the text, there was a paragraph that said that there's this flower that blooms in Israel called the chatzav. It's a very spindly flower. It's a sea squill with white blooms. It blooms in August and September, and it's, it's thought to be a harbinger of autumn and winter. So this flower was used by the 12 tribes to separate one tribe from the other. They didn't build fences. They planted these flowers. And even today in the Negev, it's in Sefer Yehoshua, and it talks about how they used the chatzav to separate the shvatim, the 12 tribes. Today, the Bedouin used this flower in the Negev to demarcate their property lines. So I thought, wouldn't it be nice if instead of this cement security wall, we use flowers? So um, this book, basically, I illustrated uh, Israeli villages and Arab villages with flowers coming right down the middle. Um, and there were a lot of interesting things that I learned as I did this, which I'm going to tell you this thing, and the next time you go to Israel, you're going to pay, pay attention to this. In Israel, all the Jewish houses have white tank hot water heaters on the roof, and the Arab houses have black. It was just, when you cut out by hand about 400 of those, you really start to notice. Um, this is the, the acid book. This morning I showed you the acid prints. This is the book that the Jerusalem Print Workshop commissioned me to do. And all of the, the pictures that I did are victims of acid violence. And I really didn't talk about it too much this morning, but basically what I did is I spent months doing portraits of these people and then I put acid in a syringe and shot the acid on my plates and ruined them. So in seconds, I destroyed my work, but that's what I printed, and that's what was important. This is two of 16 pages of an artist's book. So I belong to an artistic co-op in Jerusalem called Agrippus 12. There's, there were 15 artists. Right now, there's 13. And we had a massive group project last year in which we all did an artist's book. So everybody did 16 pages, and then we bound this enormous book. Um, so these were two of my pages. And then this is a show that I just had. It just came down uh, in February. So there's a poet in Israel named Elias Cohen, who I adore. You met with him. 
Did you? Yeah, he lives in uh, yes. uh, West Bank. Yes, yes, yes. And he's a peace activist. Yes, he's great. And he's great. a charismatic, amazing guy. Rochelle made us meet with him, too. He was great. <laughs> You're <laughs> kidding. I took our Guevara. He met with him. Okay, so I loved his poetry, and I decided that I wanted to do an artist book with, with his poems. So for five years, I looked and struggled for a way to deal with his poems. I was going to do an etching book. I was going to do a, a, a double-page spread with all these different etchings, with colors, with collage. Nothing worked. And then finally, I decided that his poetry was so fragile that I was going to do his poems on porcelain. So these are actually sheets of porcelain. And the, the mountings on them are at different heights so that the images are in layers over the poems. Um, and his, his poems are very, they're very powerful. Um, and one of the things I love about them is that he's religious and he loves the land, but he's conflicted and he doesn't think that we deserve the whole country and that we're going to have to share. It's a very real human kind of poetry. Um, and these, this I also made for the show. Um, these vessels that are, they're really not artist books. It's pretty much of a stretch. But I, I put his poetry on everything. Um, so I'm going to end up talking about art journals. And I brought one of them today. So I'm a compulsive journaler. Mostly it's a result of the fact that if I don't write it down, I forget it. Um, but I also, I have to work on my ideas for a long time. I have to keep digging and um, looking at the right media and what's the right way to express myself. Here's a couple of uh, pages. I also take them with me everywhere I go when I travel. Um, and I'm going to end with a, a thought about journaling. I don't think that this room is, is really the issue. But for my husband's 50th birthday, I went down in our Maksan and I brought up all these love letters and scrapbooks that I had from college. And I looked at my kids and I said, oh my god, you guys don't have this. You don't have a paper trail. You don't have a paper trail at all. And I realized that this entire generation has nothing to hold in their hands. They say they do, you know, oh, it's on my phone. But you'll say, okay, that really, really sweet email that you got from your mom, did you print it out? Did you save it? Can you access it? And the answer generally is no. And when you say to somebody, tell me about your Facebook page. Is your Facebook page different than my Facebook page? Yes, I have different movies and I have different friends. Does it look different? No, it looks exactly like my Facebook page. But is your handwriting like my handwriting? No. Your handwriting is a completely unique thing. So I'm kind of on a, uh, I'm waging a, a tiny personal war to get people back to pen and paper, especially our kids. Um, I, think, I think it's a tragedy that nobody realizes is happening. They don't keep scrapbooks. They don't keep di diaries. Nobody sends letters. Nobody mails postcards. I mean, it's gone. It's like a lost art. So what I do is I get these kids in my studio, and I have about 20 of these art journals, and I put one in each of their hands. And I say, no, don't open it. Don't open it. And then I say to them, you're dying to open it. Of course you're dying to open it. And how does that feel? And I try to get them to understand what paper is, what a book is. It's different than your phone. 
Your handwriting is different than texting. And it's an entire thing that I'm afraid is being lost. Um, and I actually, so I, br I brought a journal here, just, you know, we can look at it later. You can come up here and look at it. Anyway, I, I, that's, that's the uh, presentation for tonight about artist books. There's a new one in the works. There's a poet named Esther Robb who's been forgotten. She died in um, 1981. She was a pioneer. She loved the land. She wrote these incredible poems about the land of Israel. So I'm doing some etchings with her poetry. And I'll probably keep doing artist books. And when I die, my kids are going to have about 150 artist books to dump on I don't know where. Um, but I hope tonight I've kind of expanded your vision of what an artist book is and what it could be. So thank you. So we met with Elias in, uh, when we were in Israel, and you should definitely look up his poetry, although it's kind of, well, you can find it in English on the internet. So if you can find it in English, email me, because I, well, I only have that very first volume called Disturbances, um, that is mostly about the second intifada and serving as a soldier then. But um, I can, Toby Press published, and it's translated, like one side is Hebrew and one side is English. It, they're very beautiful. Questions? Andy, um, when I was in Europe, uh, I was very surprised to find artist books as part of their museum collection. Mm -hmm. Nothing in the United States. Is that changing? So first of all, it is in the United States. I mean, all, you know, the Magnus Collection, Stanford, Yale, all the big universities, most of the books that I sell, I have these incredible reps out of Alabama, they're called Vamp and Tramp, and they, take, they do artist books, and they take their books on the road and they go all over the place. There are very few individual collectors, because most of these books are $1,000, $2,000, they're all handmade, they're very expensive, and most people, when they spend that kind of money, we talked about this, they want a big painting over the couch that everybody can see. They do not want some little thing that only one person can look at at a time. So I think in general, Europeans um, appreciate artist books more. But they're, I mean, the Library of Congress, they, they buy my artist books. Yale has an amazing library. Um, I, might, I might add that these at the university level, they're usually in their special collections. Yes. And UCI, actually, at Langston Library, their special collection of artist books are just amazing. Uh, but, you, but as I said, in Europe, you actually see them in museums, right. not right. here. Uh, also in, in uh, Latin America. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I mean, but if you think America's bad, Israel's worse. I mean, they really have no idea what an artist book is. It's changing a little bit. There have been a couple of artist book shows in Tel Aviv, but in general, they, they don't get it. They don't get what that is. Um, two questions. One, one is, um, who wrote the woman's prayer book, The Laryngitis of Jewish Women? So The Laryngitis of Jewish Win Woman is um, written by Chaya Kaplan S. Lester. We met with her. She does her own. Yes, she's amazing. She lives in Nachlaot. Well, we're two for two. These are these are some of the voices coming out of Israel today. I'm trying to remember who was that woman, the young 
Rachel Korazin gave us all these poets. So it's a young female Orthodox woman feminist, Jerusalemite from Chaya Kaplan Lester. Really? I don't know. Anyway, sorry, we interrupted you. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you, but I think you've sort of answered it. To talk about your, your um, not patrons, um, people who buy your things. You talked about them. institutions. Well, yeah, you talked about institutions. Are there many individuals? And you, you've sort of answered it, but is there any expansion on that? So the babushka dolls I sold out, and most of those I sold to individuals. And the Mother's Early Morning Prayer, the poem I read, that's the carousel book. So a lot, of, a lot of people have bought that for their daughters, but that book is $1,200. And it's, you know, that's an expensive thing to give to someone. And also, if you want to display that, you need to have a Lucite box made. I mean, I make these for me. You know, I don't make these. And I'm always sort of shocked at what sells and what doesn't sell. Like, I thought the kidnapped, the Boko Haram dolls, I thought, that's not Jewish, that's for everybody. I was sure those would sell. Nope. I thought the history of sound. It's not, you know, a very specific Jewish book. It's, it's, it, in fact, there's no words. Like, it's for everybody. Nope. So, I, I, you know, I don't really understand the market. <laughs> Are your books intended to be touched and opened and... and, and manipulated or are they just to look at sitting in a case? So most artist books are meant to be looked at with white cotton gloves. Um, they're, you know, they're, it's art. Mm -hmm. it's, it's art on an intimate level, but they're not really meant to be handled over and over again with oily hands. It wouldn't be good for them. Right. Which is also one of the reasons why you don't sell a lot of them. You're so prolific. I'm wondering how, do you work on several projects at the same time? And each one seems so intense, you know, and uh, emotional. How do you switch back and forth? That's a great question. Um, so usually I work on three or four projects at the same time. There's always an artist book going because it's small, generally. There's always some huge installation going. And then there's usually some print or etching going. Um, right now, I've got this gigantic climate change project going on that I'm going to talk about tomorrow. That's the topic for tomorrow. Um, I also think that maybe I'm a little ADD. And I, I can't really sit with something you know, for nine hours. I mean, sometimes I do, but I tend to like do something for three or four hours and then move to the other thing. I also have a studio assistant. So anything you saw this morning that was repetitive, like the same scroll tied over and over 4,000 times, I don't do that. I get the studio assistant to do that so I can go do start something new. Um, <clears throat> but I'm pretty intense. And where do you store all these pieces? Oh, if my husband was here, <laughs> he would... <laughs> He would let out a laugh. It is in the garage. It is in our machsan. It is the entire third floor hallway. It is the guest room closet. It is a huge problem. In fact, a lot of times now, I really think to myself, can I do this smaller? Because it, it's just taking over the house. 
I had a question. <laughs> I had a question about um, your use of the Jewish texts. So don't you feel bad cutting up the uh, So it's, the it's looks? yeah, so in the beginning of that Vesta Prayers, I started it and then I thought, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm never going to be able to marry off my kids. <laughs> um, and I called Rabbi Riskin mm. and I called Benny Lau. And I said, could you guys, they didn't come at the same time. I said, I need you to look at something, and I need you to tell me if this is a sore, if this is forbidden, and I'll stop. So they each came over. I explained what I was doing. I told them I'm not cutting through any letters, and whatever I'm not using, I'm putting in a bag, and I'm taking to the Geniza. Like, I, I have a certain reverence and respect for these pages. And both of them said, there's no problem. Keep doing what you're doing. Stop asking questions. With, um, <clears throat> well, first of all, thank you for your phenomenal, phenomenal explanations and your phenomenal art. Thank you. Um, in the social statement that you've made in, in your work, particularly the one that um, comes to mind is that those black images of the ultra-Orthodox and the images of the little girls, have you had or have had have there been repercussions or uh, results uh, in, a, in a positive sense or even in a negative sense that, um, that you can detect or that you've been exposed to? So I, I have two answers for that. So that series hasn't been shown, but in 2020, I've I'm, I'm just been contacted by a curator. There's going to be a new show at the, the um, L.A. Meyer Museum of Islamic Art in Jerusalem that's going to be... Jewish women and Palestinian women critiquing the culture from inside. And she wants those prints. So I'll let you know. That's the first thing. The second thing is that a really weird thing happened in my family. And it is possible that it's because somebody knows that I'm doing this sort of critique of the Rabbanut. So I have five kids. Four have gotten married. Three of them were married with the Jerusalem Rabbanut, no problem. You know, you have to go and you have to apply for, you know, your marriage license and everything, and they have to approve it. So my third daughter, who covers her hair, who's my most religious kid, was getting married in Petach Tikva, and the rabbinute in Petach Tikva said, you need a, an issuer, like a permission thing from the Jerusalem rabbinute, and they made it impossible for her. She was my last kid to get married. They said, you need to go before a Beit Din. And she said, why? You've married three of my siblings. You married my brother two months ago. What could be wrong with my status? And they said, no, no, it's for your own good. We just want to ask you some questions. And they really humiliated her and made her wait for days. And the only thing that I can figure out is that maybe, I mean, that doesn't make any sense unless it's about my art. Like, I have no idea. But... So my youngest son isn't married yet, so I'll let you know if they give him a hard time. That's it? Okay. Well, thank you very much. I would like to get a picture of people here with the artist for our social media, even though we're not going to print it out. We still put it online. So No, uh, and send them to me. I'll put them on Facebook. Okay. So come check out the art book. We'll get some photos, and we'll see you tomorrow, lunch, last program. Thank you for coming out tonight.